The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Let's go ahead and look at God's Word together. Um, we finished the book of Revelation, did some mission stuff. This summer, I'm going to, for the third summer in a row, uh, look at this, um, what the Bible says about, and then various topics, most of which I got from you uh, last summer and the summer before, where I got a whole bunch of suggestions of, yeah, what does the Bible say about this topic? And so we've done like 20 of them, got 10 left, so we'll do that this summer, maybe a little more than 10. Looking forward to that. So that'll start in June. So I've been thinking and praying, what, God, would you have us study together as a body until that time between now and uh, mid-June? And some things happened providentially, conversations I was having with people, uh, actually newer people to the church, asking really good questions um, along the line, or what does GBF believe about this, where does GBF stand on this, uh, foundational and basic questions. And I, it just dawned on me, yeah, well, we've got all that stuff in writing in our... Uh, on our website and in our documents, and we have 20 little statements called the distinctives of GBF, and they're just kind of one-sentence bullet points of what we believe. They are hopefully characteristics and attributes of what our ministry looks like, and they hopefully flow out of the Bible. 20 distinctives of GBF. They shouldn't be distinctive only of GBF as a church. They should actually be practiced by every church that is committed to the Bible because that's where we got the 20 distinctives was just out of the Bible. A lot of it out of the book of Acts and Paul's epistles. What did they do in the early church? We need to do the same thing. We need to replicate that. And that's where our 20 distinctives came from. And so that's just a good way to get a quick overview of what is GBF all about? What drives it? What are the convictions, the motivations, their philosophy of ministry? Uh, how are they different maybe than another local church in the area? That kind of thing. So hopefully the 20 uh, distinctives are helpful in helping you discern that. And so that's when God laid on my heart that maybe up until the middle of June, I can pick out some of those distinctives and highlight those. Uh, we did it about four and a half years ago when there were many le- or a lot fewer people here. And so since we did that over four years ago, uh, there's been a lot of new people. So it'd be a good time to refresh what is GBF all about? What are we committed to? And really, what is Scripture all about? And what are the priorities? So one of those 20 distinctives as I was looking through it is expository preaching. And out of the 20, that was one of the most important because it's one of the most all-encompassing of our 20 distinctives because so much flows out of expository preaching or correct biblical preaching. So I thought that was a logical one to start with. So that's what I wanted to preach on today is biblical preaching and specifically expository preaching what it is not what it is according to scripture and there is uh, an insert there in your bulletin if you wanted to take notes on there uh, there's no specific outline i've got a mass of information and i'm just going to stop when it's time for communion so i don't even know how far i'm going to get just so you know this could take i could do a 10-week seminar for two hours a night on expository preaching so i'm going to try to distill it down in about 40 minutes So I'll probably end up talking fast. I know, I apologize ahead of time. So we're going to move quickly. But again, it's just big picture, big survey, trying to really highlight what the most important elements are of expository preaching and why it matters. Why does it matter? It does matter. 2 Timothy chapter 4.
God's Holy Spirit moved the Apostle Paul to charge Timothy, who was a younger pastor and preacher of a local church in Ephesus at this time, with this mandate in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. So imagine God talking to the Spirit of God, prompting the heart of the Apostle Paul, speaking to Pastor Timothy with these words, and maybe Timothy was my age, young whippersnapper of 44 years old or whatever, still having some grown-up immaturity and experience to gain from the older mentor, the Apostle Paul. And so Paul could say this very same thing to me. Hey, McManus, you're a pastor, right? Well, let me remind you something of the basic priorities of what you're supposed to be doing. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Preach the Word. That is the most important phrase in these five verses. That is what you do. That's what a pastor does. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what's supposed to a church is supposed to be about. Preach the Word. That's what this sermon is about today. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come, and we could say now 2,000 years later, for the time has come when they, people, professing Christians and even some real Christians, will not endure or tolerate sound doctrine. But rather, they will want their ears tickled or entertained. And as a result, they will accumulate for themselves or they will literally gather to themselves or they'll have a search committee for the pastor and hire and bring into themselves teachers, pastors, preachers who will say things in accordance to their own desires, their own illegitimate desires, their own self-centered desires. That's what that verse means. This is all in contrast to his mandate, preach The word. Ear tickling. Verse four. And they'll turn away their ears from the truth. Oh, I can't handle the truth. I don't want the truth. I don't like the truth. I don't have an appetite for the truth, but rather they will turn aside to myths. Things that are not true. Things that are not scriptural. Things that aren't really in the Bible. But they think they are. And verse 5, but you, Pastor Timothy, you, young Timothy, you, inexperienced Timothy, you, Timothy, who are being bullied and intimidated by some people in your congregation who are giving you a hard time about what you're teaching and you're beginning to cave. Do not cater to their illegitimate desires of what they want to hear from the pulpit. That is what Paul is saying. That is the context. But you, be sober, be level-headed. Get your wits about you, Timothy, of what God has charged you to do. But you, Timothy, be sober in all things. Be level-headed. Be objective. Endure hardship. Why did he have to tell Timothy to endure hardship? Well, because when you're faithful at teaching the Bible accurately, objectively, courageously, it's very convicting. And you can actually say things sometimes that make people uncomfortable. You can actually say things out of the Bible 
if you teach it accurately, that will offend people and hurt their feelings. I mean, there are verses literally that you can read from Scripture. You don't even need to explain it. You just read the verse and people get mad. Things like when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me, that makes people mad. That's why he's saying, uh, preach the word, be faithful, be level-headed, and endure hardship. You're going to get flack for teaching the Bible. Even in your own congregation, occasionally you're going to get flack. You're going to get criticism. Uh, but do the work of an evangelist, one who tells good news, and fulfill your ministry. So there it is. Preach the word. That's kind of a foundational passage that I just wanted to be reminded of as we look to what is expository preaching. What is expository preaching? Because it is it we think and we pray and we hope it is a distinctive of Grace Bible Fellowship, and it actually should be a distinctive of every true biblical church. But before I go into the details of defining what expository preaching is, I first want to contrast it with what it is not, because there's a lot of preaching going on out there all over the place on television and churches, and there are many churches and many people who call themselves teachers and preachers that actually aren't doing expository preaching. And not everybody even wants to be doing expository preaching because there's a whole school of thought in the Christian world that says we don't want expository preaching because it's not in the Bible. They are not shy about saying that. They've written books on it. And But there are others who think they're preaching biblically when they're not because if they're preaching biblically, then it needs to be expository preaching. But first, let's just highlight some things. Typical ways that people preach that is not expository preaching. So, number one, expository preaching is not telling the people what they want to hear. Uh, number two, it is not motivational speaking in and of itself. Uh, Joyce Meyer, she's a motivational speaker. Joel Olstein, Bill McCartney, the football coach, Christian guy from Colorado University. He, he is a great motivational speaker. He's encouraging. I like listening to Bill McCartney, but... He's not an expository preacher. Tony Campolo, he's very encouraging and can motivate you, but he's a motivational speaker, Tony Campolo. Bill Cower, former head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, man, he would pump his team up. That's why they won the Super Bowl. He's a motivational speaker, but motivational speaking is not expository preaching. Uh, uh, expository preaching is not storytelling. And there are some pastors and preachers out there who are great storytellers. They are. Way better than I would ever be. And there's a place for storytelling, but from the pulpit is not the place to strictly just be storytelling. So it's not storytelling. Uh, expository preaching is not just quoting a whole bunch of other great preachers because you didn't study and don't have anything to say because there's a lot of preachers that do that. And Calvin said, and Luther said, and MacArthur said, and Piper said, and Swindoll said. And that is not expository preaching because you're preaching the word of man as the authority. And expository preaching is all about teaching the Bible not the word of man. And we can refer to wise words of man when it's appropriate as an illustration or whatever. Did that last week. I don't know if you caught it. I actually quoted somebody and I said, Charles Spurgeon said. Don't do that very often, but it's a great quote. Uh, so it is not quoting other preachers. That's not expository preaching. Uh, so expository preaching is not strictly a topical sermon either. And that's typ typically where somebody gets a verse or two. They read the verse and then they just use that as a springboard to talk about whatever they want to talk about. And they totally disregard the context of the verse that they just read. There's a word in there that they like, and boom, they're off to the races. And you're actually not learning anything about the Bible, but you're learning about what they have on their agenda. Some of it actually can be true. A lot of it can be true in basic religious platitudes or biblicalisms or whatever, but uh, that's a topical sermon. You can also actually have a topical sermon that is expository. So there's a difference. 
expository preaching is not proofed texting where you want to make a point and grind an axe and then you go find a verse to back up your point. Like Mormonism would do that. You're saved by works and then they'll say, okay, can I find it? Oh, yeah, uh, the book of James. You are saved by your works. Boom, found it. That's proofed texting. That's not expository preaching. Uh, and then finally, here's one that people get confused. Expository preaching is not necessarily going verse by verse. Some people think going verse by verse through a book of the Bible is expository preaching, and that, that's not true. Because you can go verse by verse through an entire book of the Bible, and none of it can be expository preaching because it was not uh, the chronology in which you went or the amount of uh, material that you covered. It is the manner in which you approached the preaching. So just going through verse by verse doesn't guarantee expository preaching because you can go through an entire book verse by verse and give the wrong interpretation most of the time. That's not expository preaching. It has nothing to do with the length of a verse or a biblical passage. It's the manner in which you approach that passage. I could do an expository sermon on one verse, on one word in a verse, on a paragraph in a chapter, on an entire chapter, or like I did in Kiev, all 22 chapters of Revelation in one sermon. Hopefully it was expository. So that's what expository preaching is not. With that said, and against that background, let's go ahead and look at what expository preaching is and then a whole bunch of related corollary truths that follow from that. And I'm not going to tell you how many I have. Okay, seven points. Here we go. Now I've just committed myself. i got to finish. So what is expository preaching? Well, let's start. Number one, the meaning. The meaning of expository preaching. Just trying to make it concise. If you looked in a dictionary under expositor, uh, exposition, it says a discourse to convey information. That's exposition. Semicolon. To explain, that's key, to explain what is difficult to understand. To explain. So expository preaching is explaining what the Bible actually says. It's not to talk about the Bible, around the Bible, over the Bible, through the Bible. It's actually to talk about and explain what the Bible actually says. That passage at hand or that verse or that word. To explain. Because the word exposition comes from the word exposed. To expose means to unveil. That is expository preaching. Unveiling the true meaning of the text. As it was originally given by God... Searching for one meaning that was the original meaning of the original author. So if we're in a book by the Apostle Paul, then every single verse, every single word, every single chapter, we are looking to see what did Paul mean by what he said. That is expository preaching. Exposing, unveiling. So that we understand what God's original intent was in that passage. So my opinion has nothing to do with it. The current culture has nothing to do with it. The felt needs of your congregation have nothing to do with it. It's all in the text. Everything you talk about is driven by the content and the meaning of the original text of Scripture. That is expository preaching. Other ways it can be said, expository preaching. Uh, Here's one preacher who is an expository preacher said this. It is preaching the Bible in such a way that exposes the true meaning of the given text entirely and exactly as it was intended by God. That's a challenge. Because then the guy that's studying has to be, or the lady that's studying, if you're teaching the Bible studies, you've got to be prepared and do proper study and right have the right skill to get to the true meaning of Scripture. Um, letting the Bible speak for itself. There it is. 
as a result of contextual considerations. So you're never just pulling a verse out of context. A verse only has meaning in its context, in the immediate context, the context of the chapter, the context of the book, the context of the New Testament or Old Testament, and the context of the entire Bible. So it's letting the Bible speak for itself as a result of contextual considerations and proper exegesis. Exegesis is the preparation before you preach it. Exegesis is applying the rules to discover the true meaning. Exegesis itself means to pull out, to pull out the truth from the Scripture as opposed to eisegesis, to put truth into it, to foist your opinion onto or into Scripture. Exegesis is to pull it out. So when you're studying, you pull it out through exegesis. And when you preach, you pull it out and expose it so everybody else can partake in your exegesis where you came to realize the true meaning of the text as you were studying it. That's expository preaching. So that's the meaning. Uh, a key verse, Nehemiah 8.8. 8. This is not a New Testament phenomenon. It's not a 20th century phenomenon. It's in the Bible. Do you know Noah was the, a preacher of righteousness? So Noah was a preacher? I believe he was an expository preacher. The prophets were preachers. Moses was an expository preacher. Nehemiah was an expository preacher. But listen to this. This is a great verse. So this is like 450 years before Christ comes. And here's in the days of Nehemiah and Ezra uh, was the, one of the preachers. And they uh, got about 50,000 people assembled. And then uh, it says that uh, Ezra was going to preach the word, uh, Nehemiah 8.1 says, and all the people gathered together. So it was a corporate assembly. They gathered as one man together. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law, to bring the scriptures, because that's what he was going to teach on and preach. That's expository preaching. What does the Bible say? Billy Graham was actually great at that if you listen to him. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. It's really that simple. That's what Ezra was going to do. What does the Bible say? So they all gather, 50,000 people. There's Ezra, verse 2. It says, and then Ezra the priest brought the law, the scriptures, before the assembly. Well, who was in the assembly? The men in the, in the assembly, the women, and all who could listen with understanding. That means they probably had a nursery. Because it says that like four or five times. And all those who could listen with understanding, and all the babies must have been somewhere else in the nursery. Huge nursery. Probably 20,000 babies in the nursery. But anyway... And, and Ezra was going to preach. And verse 3, here was his style. It says they read from the law. They, first, they read from the Scripture. From early morning until midday. So that he had a five-hour sermon. That is awesome. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. All the people were attentive. They cared what Scripture said. Not what Ezra said, what Scripture said. Isn't that amazing? That's a miracle, really. God chooses to speak. The Spirit of God chooses to speak through fallen human beings to communicate His truth to other people. So hopefully you didn't come here to listen to me today, but you came to hear the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And the people were attentive to hear the book of the law. And get this, and Ezra, I love this. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium. There it is. Why do we have podiums? I think it came from here. Uh, the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose of the preacher dude. That's a modern day translation, sorry. Then he had all these guys, and then it says, and then he reads the scripture, and the people stood up, verse 6, and then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered and said, Amen. The response of the people, they were saying, It is so, it is so, we agree with God's word. 
Amen and amen. While lifting up their hands and they bowed low and they worshiped the Lord. Here it is. The focal point of all of this is the teaching of the word of God. And Nehemiah or God's spirit calls it worship. It's not a mistake when I get up every single week and say, let's continue our worship by studying scripture together. Here's one example. They considered studying the word of God corporately together as an act of worship. Then they fell with their faces to the ground. It's amazing. And then uh, verse 8, they read from the book. So this is expository preaching right here. First, you read the Scripture so people can hear it, see it. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense. See, that's the responsibility of the expositor. You read it, and then you translate it from your exegesis and explain what it means. So there's interpretation, explanation, and then application at the end. And that's what the end of verse 8 says. Uh, translating it to give the sense so that, see there's a purpose at hand, so that they, so that the people understood the reading, so they could believe it and apply it to their life. That in a nutshell is expository preaching. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. It's declaring or reading the word of God, then it's explaining it, and then it's applying it. And it's all around what the scripture says. So that's a great verse. Uh, in Luke 4.16, Jesus did the same thing. Luke chapter 4, the beginning of his ministry. This is great. He's in his hometown in Nazareth. And uh, he, he goes into the synagogue, which began to be his custom. And he was recognized rabbi and teacher and scholar of the Old Testament scriptures. After all, he wrote them. And it says in uh, Luke 4.16 that Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read. So he was a recognized rabbi. He stood up to read the scriptures. Verse 17, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So he's going to preach from Isaiah. And he opened the book, found the place where it was written. The first thing he does is he reads the scripture. That's what Isaiah, that's what Nehemiah said to do. First thing you do is you read the scripture. Then, uh, a little later, later on in the passage, uh, it says that they were listening to his words. Verse 22. So Jesus explained. So he reads out of Isaiah. Then he explains what it means or he preaches it. He's an expository preacher. And verse 20 says, and he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Verse 22, and all were speaking well of Jesus and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. So he said a lot more than is put in scripture. He preached a sermon. It was an expository sermon because he read the scripture. He explained the scripture and he expected the people to respond by believing and applying the scripture. And the application charge was. Uh, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I am the Messiah. That was the application point. So they're listening and they are oohed and awed by his teaching. They never heard such teaching. And they were saying, is not this Joseph's son? Wow, where'd he get educated? How come he has so much insight in the scriptures? What's this all about? Uh, and then Jesus goes on to give further interpretation. Uh, in verse 28, this is how they responded. And everybody in the synagogue was filled with rage. So he reads scripture, he explains scripture, and the response among his own people, they were filled with rage. Isn't that sad? They didn't believe it. They were filled with rage as they heard these things, and they rose up and cast him out of the city. They carried him out of Nazareth and tried to throw him off a hill and kill him in response to the sermon. Okay, now we'll have the altar call, and then he gets whisked out of the city, just about murdered. That was their response. Uh, it's sad, but here's the point. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And when you accurately teach the Bible and give its true meaning, I guarantee you this, you will always get a reaction from the people. Always. So the fact that 
they responded and were filled with rage doesn't mean Jesus was wrong. It doesn't mean he was unloving. It meant that the Spirit of God was actually doing its work on the hearts of the people, and they were hardened and rebellious. They did not like what they heard. They wanted their ears tickled, but they responded, and we see the response. In Acts chapter 26, and actually Acts chapter 17, where Paul is preaching to the Greeks at Mars Hill, he's preaching a sermon, actually. And when he was done preaching, he culminated with the gospel and Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And he called them to repent. And these very smart, erudite, educated, philosophical Greeks, it says they responded in three different ways. So he's got this crowd of people and there are three different responses. And I guarantee this will, these are the only three responses you'll ever get in any crowd when you preach the word of God. The first response, it says some sneered. Psh, what, what's up with that? That's ridiculous. That was the first response. The other one was, some said, hey, we'd like to hear that again. So there was fascination. There was intrigue. They continued to inquire. They're not quite ready yet. Let me hear more. That's a legitimate response sometimes. And then the last response was, but some believed. Some believed and joined Paul. Isn't that great? That's proof that God's word did its work. It is living and active. And I've seen that for 20 years, working in the church, teaching the Bible, preaching the Bible. And sometimes I'll preach on a passage or a truth or revelation or some other topic. And I'm just trying to, this is what the Bible says. And then later on, I hear uh, either personally from someone or somebody else that, uh, well, they didn't like that. Or I don't like that. Or that offended me. Or that incensed me. And if I know that I accurately represented the Bible, it actually doesn't bother me. I'm thinking, wow, the Spirit of God is working on this person's heart. That's a good thing. But fortunately, that's actually the minority of what I hear. Most of what I hear in response to Scripture is, thank God, praise God, the Scripture is so true. It nourished me, it encouraged me, it enlightened me, it blessed me. Praise God for His Word. That's usually what I hear. That's a blessed thing in your own home church. But the point is that the Word of God, people are going to respond to it as living and active when you're preaching it the right way, honestly, objectively, as God gave it. So that's the meaning, to expose the true meaning of the text. Uh, let's go on to the mandate of expository preaching. The mandate. Why, well, why, do, why are we committed to expository preaching? Because I, I just believe this is the mandate of God. God commanded his pastors, his elders, his bishops, his overseers, his Bible teachers, and the church to preach the Bible, but to do it in an expository manner. Preach the word. And that's Second uh, Timothy, or sorry, yeah, Second Timothy. And I read that earlier. Uh, preach the word. That was the mandate. Another one is First Timothy 4.13. Listen to this mandate to be expository in your preaching or to teach the word of God and not human opinion or things that will fancy people. Uh, Paul told Pastor Timothy in First Timothy 4.13, until I come there at the church while you're there, do your duty, Pastor Timothy. Here's what you're supposed to do. Give attention to, give priority to, to what? The public reading of the scripture. Read the scripture, the scripture, the scripture, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. And to exhortation and teaching. So read the Bible, explain it so that people understand it, so they can apply it to their life. That is the mandate. It was commanded by God. Why do we do expository preaching? Because it was commanded by God, mandated by God. Acts chapter 6, when the church uh, was just getting rolling there in Jerusalem, and they're exploding with church growth, and they got 3,000 people that just joined the church, and the fellowship meal was getting too big and uh, unmanageable and logistical nightmare to try to feed everybody. And then people were coming and complaining to the elders and there were only like 12 apostles and then some of the elders and so you got 3,000 people and so they needed help so they recruited some deacons to help with the fellowship meal. 
so that they could free up the pastors and the elders and the preachers. And that's why Peter concluded, now that we've got our deacons to handle these very important ministries, we will have to give ourselves to our priorities that God has called us as pastors and preachers and elders to do. And he said, and that is the priority of prayer and the ministry of the word. That's teaching the word of God in every context, whether it's a sermon, Sunday school, Bible study, one-on-one in a group. That is the priority of a preacher. That's the priority of an elder is preaching the word of God. So there is a mandate for preachers, pastors, called elders of the church to preach the word of God. Why do we do expository preaching? Because it was a mandate from God. So that's the meaning, the mandate, and then number three. What about the mode of expository preaching? What about the mode of communicating God's truth? Well, you know, it's the technological age. What do we have to do this outdated, archaic mode of preaching for? It's old hat. It's boring. It's not relevant. That's what Harry Emerson Fosdick said as a liberal pastor in the 1920s. 1928, he began saying that. Uh, Preaching doesn't work anymore. How much more, you know, here and where we are in the technological age? Why, why don't we disseminate and give out truth in more relevant ways that are more captivating and entertaining and engage people more like videos and dramas and on and on and on. I could go. Well, because the biblical mandate for the church is not to do dramas, but to preach. Uh, that, I'm not saying that dramas are evil, satanic or what. I like a good drama when I see one. But that's not the priority of the church. The priority of the church and its mandate from God is to preach and to do it expositorily. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He was a pastor. He was an elder. He was a shepherd. He was a bishop. He was an overseer. He was the head of a church. He had a ministry. He was a reverend, whatever you want to call him. And he never forgot his focus or what he was called to do by God. First in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, I'm glad I didn't baptize anybody. I was not called to be a baptizer as a pastor. And he goes, oh, well, what were you called to do, Paul? Well, he said, uh, verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 1, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach. But to preach. Euangelizo. Euangelizo. To preach. To pre- literally, to preach good news. I'm a good newser. To preach. To preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech like the Greeks. That the cross should be made void. For the word of the cross, when it's preached is to those who are perishing foolishness. So preaching as a mechanism is actually considered old hat, arcane, inefficacious, and foolish, idiotic as the world looks. But it's God's mechanism, and he's going to use it from the days of when he said that Noah was a preacher of righteousness all the way into the future during the tribulation when God raises up the two witnesses who preach. So that's how God has chosen to change lives, to get the word out. How shall people be saved without a preacher? Says Romans chapter 10. There's got to be a preacher. Proclamation. So that's the mode. And Paul goes on to say, I'm a preacher, I'm a preacher, I'm a preacher. That's what God has commissioned me to do. The greatest work that a preacher can do, that a pastor can do at your church, is number one, is to be a preacher of God's word. I mean, there's a zillion things that are good to do. Visit people, go here, go that, do this, do that. Uh, But priority number one can never be neglected. Does your pastor preach the word of God? Well, that needs to be the answer. Because it's a mandate from God, and that was the mode that God has sovereignly Ordained verbal declaration. So the meaning, the mandate, and the mode. Number four, uh, the model of expository preaching. Well, the models of expository preaching are all from the Bible. I referred to many of them earlier. Just give you a couple examples. The model of preaching is expository preaching, and we see it in John the Baptist in Matthew chapter three, verse one. At the beginning of John's uh, ministry, it says, "Now in those days, John the Baptist came." In other words, this is what characterized John the Baptist's ministry. This is what he did. Was he an author? No. Was he a counselor? No. Now, in those days, 
John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. Preaching is keruso. Keruso is the word that means to herald, to declare. An authoritative declaration on behalf of the king and an edict that is binding for everyone. That's what keruso means. A proclaimer, a declarer of truth, shouting it at the top of your lungs so that all of it could hear. That's what keruso meant. And John the Baptist was doing that. He came preaching in the wilderness. What was the content? Verse 2, repent. So John was a preacher and he was an expository preacher. Uh, same thing with Jesus. Same book, next chapter, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, this is how Jesus was characterized by his ministry. From that time, Jesus began to preach. Same word. To Caruso, to proclaim, to declare, to shout it at the top of his lungs. It was one-way communication. A binding decree from the king. Here is truth. He was a preacher. What was Jesus' message? Well, it says repent. The first word out of his mouth. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus came preaching and teaching, Mark 1, 14 and 15. That's what he did. He was an expository preaching. Same thing with the book of Acts and the Apostle Paul at the end of Paul's life when he was in prison just before he got his head chopped off by the Romans as a martyr. He was locked up in prison for two years, but he had some freedom and he had an audience there and here's what he did. He continued in his ministry, not baptizing, counseling and whatever else, but primarily what he was called to do to be a preacher, as he said earlier. And so Acts 28, verse 30 and 31 says this, Paul stayed two full years in his own rented quarters there in Rome as in a prisoner, and he was welcoming everybody that came to him. He was always looking for an audience so he could do what? Verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God. There it is. Preaching, Russo, the same word, to declare, to be a herald. Paul was a preacher and an expository preacher that we know from the examples of his 13 epistles, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching. So those two words go together, preaching and teaching. That's what Paul did. So he was an expository preacher. So that was the model. The model are men from the Bible who did expository preaching. Well, what about the manner in which we do our expository preaching, which I've already hinted at, but I want to get more specific. The words that are used regarding this teaching and preaching mechanism that they employed. In the New Testament, there are at least 33 different Greek words used to describe the expository preaching of Jesus, John the Baptist, and the apostles. 33 different words. That is amazing. Describing how they taught, how they orally declared truth, how they verbally communicated the message of God to the people. 33 different words. Every one of those words having its own nuance of meaning, which is just a beautiful picture because it shows us the richness of the method of preaching. How rich, how diverse, how deep, how relevant, how practical. That's amazing. But there are three that are like most common most commonly used regarding the preaching. So you want your preacher to, to do at least the following three words. Uh, one is keruso, which I already said, which means to herald, to proclaim, to declare. That's one-way communication. Keruso, to declare, to proclaim. The emphasis there is on the preacher and what he does. He's a herald. Keruso, used all the time. And then there's euangelizo. Euangelizo, often translated as the word preach in your New Testament. Euangelizo, big word, compound word. U, E-U. That's an English word. E-U, it means what? Good, right? Eulogy, E-U. Eulogy is when you say a good word about somebody at their memorial service. That's literally what that means. Or euphoria, you means good. You is a blessed term. Euphoria, utopia, good things at the end of the age. Eulogy, hey you. 
That's not rude. That's a compliment. That means, hey, you're a good person. No, I'm just kidding. EU. You and then angelizo, where we get the word angel. What's an angel? A messenger. So you angelizo is a good message. Good news. That's where evangelism comes from. That's what good news comes from. That's where the word gospel comes from. And that, interestingly enough, that's made into a verb form in the New Testament many times, and it's translated as preach. So literally, it's uh, instead of preaching, we could literally say it's good newsing. Good news. So Paul went around good newsing to people. So Caruso, what the emphasis was on what the preacher does. Euangelizo, the emphasis is on the content of the message. It's what you're the content of what you're saying. You're going out and declaring it. What is it? It's not bad news. It is good news. Why is why is it called good news? Because it makes people happy and gives them warm fuzzies and meets their felt needs. No, it is good news because it is truth. It is good news because it is truth. And it is good news because it is truth. And truth sets sinners free. Know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's why it's good news. So it's the content. So Keruso, emphasis on what the preacher does. Euangelizo, the, the emphasis on the content of the good news that's being declared. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. I actually had some people talking to me last week and last couple of weeks. They were a little concerned about this Herald Camping prophecy that Judgment Day was going to come and the world was going to end on May 21st. Literally, it's Christians, I know. And I just reminded them to put them at ease with the good news. We, we, you know what? We know the good news. Matthew 24 says, nobody knows the day or the hour. Jesus said it three times. No man knows the hour. And then Herald Camping said, no, it's at 6 p.m. Well, no, Jesus said, you don't know the hour. No, it's at 6 p.m. And then he says three times, watch out for false prophets. Whoa. And then other times the scripture warns, don't listen to people when they say, here he is or there he is, or there's the Messiah, or, here he comes. So the fact that we, that I knew what Jesus said, I knew truth, therefore it set me free, and I didn't bat an eyelash at all whatsoever yesterday in fear because I knew the truth. I knew the good news. Although at 601 I did look at my watch. So you know the truth, the truth is going to set you free. So you've got these three words, Russo, what the preacher does, euangelizo, the content of the good news, and then finally, the most common word, didasco, teaching, teaching, teaching. So that's why in Luke 8, 1, uh, in Acts 15, 35, it says the apostle Paul went out kerusoing, preaching or declaring, euangelizoing, good newsing, and also didasco, teaching, that's what he did as a preacher. Those three words. To proclaim, to good news, and didasco, to teach, didactics. Now, the emphasis there is on the learner. And it's cerebral in orientation. You are preaching to their brain, to their thought life, not to the emotions, not to practical needs. You are preaching to the brain. That's what that word means. So those three words together, beautiful, holistic picture of what preaching should be about. Proclamation. Emphasis on the preacher. Euangelizo, good news. Emphasis on the content of the message. And then finally, didasco, teaching. Emphasis on the learner and how they process information. That is the manner in which expository preaching happens. Number six. Well, what is the actual message that we preach in expository preaching? And this is just a great basic distinctive. What is the content? What is the source of information? Uh, boy, you know, there are pastors who struggle. Boy, what am I going to preach on this week? Man, oh, I don't know. And they, they'll do that week after week after week because they're trying to drum up information. I've ne- actually never had that problem because of my training. Because the answer was, well, just preach the Bible and you'll never run out of information. There's just too much there. 
And if you're going through a book of the Bible and you finish one chapter, you just go on to the next one. So you're never struggling for information. Boy, I don't know what to preach on next week. i got to come up with something. You heard any good stories lately? You got any good stats? Current events? Man, I need a good story. No, it's Scripture. Scripture is the content of our message. What is the message? It is Scripture. That's what we preach. That's why Paul said, 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the Word. Preach Scripture. Preach Scripture. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he reminded the Thessalonians, when I came to you and taught, when I came to you and preached, I thank God that you received from me what I said it was, the Word of God. He preached the Word of God. He preached Scripture. He preached divine truth. Not his opinion. And we need to do the same. We need to preach Scripture. We need to preach the Bible right here. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, you know, his favorite phrase, repeated 30 times in the Gospels, when Jesus said, it is written. It is is written it you know what jesus was doing he was a master teacher he was a rabbi he was teaching the old testament he was teaching scripture the scripture was the content of his preaching that's the message the message comes from scripture and if uh, so that's what we need to continue to do it is written thus saith the lord that's what the old testament prophet said so i can stand up here literally and say thus saith the lord why can i say that because it's in the bible and you can be comforted because you know it's not my word it is god's word and I can have confidence too when I preach because I know this is God's word. I believe it. And the Spirit of God has shown me what it means. And the Spirit of God helps me preach it so I can preach with confidence. And those who are listening, if they know that it's truly the word of God, they can have confidence in believing it as well. So the preacher doesn't have to be up here hesitating and apologizing and taking back steps. And, oh, I think this is what it means. And I hope this is what it says. And, oh, and I apologize that this is what the Bible says. Apparently so. You don't have to do that. So you can have confidence because we know this is God's word that we preach. It is written, or literally, it stands written, just like Jesus said. And if we're gonna, and if the content is scripture, therefore, expository preaching comes from scripture, and as a result, all expository preaching will be Christ-centered. Boy, if you go too many sermons or Bible lessons without Jesus being mentioned or relevant somehow in the book, and I don't care what book it is, even Leviticus, Jesus better be there somewhere. And I'm not making that up. I teach a seminary class right now. Oh, yeah, it was over in Kiev. That's what it was. I was teaching the seminary guys there in Kiev, and I mentioned how Jesus is the theme of all Scripture, and he's in every book of the Bible. And they said, well, he's not in Genesis. And I said, yeah, he is. So we went to Genesis 3.15, and yeah, and they were convinced. Oh, yeah, there he is. Wow. Jesus is the theme of all Scripture. So all expository preaching needs to be christ Center. Jesus himself said that in Luke 24, the guys on the road to Emmaus, he sat them down, had a Bible study, and it said, beginning with Genesis, literally what it means, beginning with the law of Moses, he showed them all things concerning himself, all the way to the end of the Old Testament. Every book in the Old Testament, he showed, and there I am, and there I am, and there I am. It is all Christ-centered. It needs to be. He said the same thing in John 5 when he was rebuking the Pharisees. And he said, you know, you guys pride yourself on knowing the Old Testament, memorizing the Old Testament, being masters of the Old Testament, and teaching the Old Testament. And you search the Scriptures, thinking that in the Scriptures you will find salvation and eternal life. And you will. But as you're searching Scripture, don't forget that I am the theme of Scripture. That's what Jesus told the Pharisees. Christ-centered. Expository preaching, and because the content of expository preaching is Scripture, and because Scripture at the heart of it is Jesus Christ Himself, as a result, all expository preaching will have a component or element that is gospel-driven, imparting life. After all, that's actually one of the words for preaching, right? Good newsing, gospeling. Paul went out gospeling. Jesus went out gospeling. 
So there's always got to be the message of the gospel, the good news, Jesus Christ. I remember uh, I was criticized one time for, you talk about Jesus too much in your preaching. You know, I was not offended at all. I just kind of smiled to myself and thought, oh man, amen. Praise God. Praise God. Preaching needs to be Christ-centered and gospel-driven because the, good, the gospel is good news and it's all about Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel about Jesus Christ. His death, his resurrection, his ascension, he reigns on high as king of kings. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of salvation. It is the power for salvation to everyone who believes. Isn't that awesome? That's expository preaching. That is our message. And then finally, well, what are the merits of expository preaching. Number seven, the merits of expository preaching. The, the, the benefits of expository preaching on a regular basis. There are benefits from it as opposed to other kinds of teaching and preaching. So just quickly, uh, I hinted at a couple. If you're regularly expository preaching, then the preacher can preach with confidence because he knows he is preaching God's word. It's not his own word. It's not his opinion. It is the mind of God. And he can preach authoritatively. It's not inherent authority. It's delegated authority from God. Uh, if you continue to preach expositorily accurately, then your hearers can have confidence as they listen because they know it is God's word. And also they have the indwelling Holy Spirit to help them understand that truth and apply that truth in their own life. So there's an amazing sense of security and confidence as you hear truth as a believer. It's awesome. Even in this postmodern age when people tell you you can't really know anything for certain. Uh, another benefit of expository preaching, things will happen. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and it is efficacious. God will use his word to work on the hearts and the minds of people. He will create responses from people, good, bad, and ugly. But God's word is always working. And that's what Isaiah 55, 9 and 10 said when God said, when I send out my word, it never returns void. Expository preaching will ensure that. Uh, if you're expository preaching in a regular man manner, then the saints, their souls will be fed. Their souls will be fed because uh, Scripture says, that Scripture is milk and meat and food for the believer. It is our sustenance spiritually, right? So it will help feed our souls and it will help us grow. And if we continue to do expository preaching and listen, then it, this will also help uh, believers build discernment because you're going to add depth to your worldview because you're informed with truth also and the breadth of your understanding. So you're going to grow in discernment as a Christian. As a result, you won't be tossed to and fro by false winds of doctrine like when somebody comes along and says, uh, the world is going to end on May 21st. You will stand solid because you know the truth. Well, I'm going to go ahead and close at that. Um, so anyway, that in a nutshell, and I know that was a whirlwind of stuff, but that is expository preaching as we see mandated by Scripture and also modeled in Scripture for us. And so hopefully, you know, depending upon how long you've been here at GBF, you can actually discern now and look in hindsight. And when you listen to messages, you know, whether they're sermons on the radio or maybe at another church you go to at different times, be discerning, really key in and listen. Is this an expository message? Is, is the Word of God being exposed and unveiled in a way that I can understand it and apply it to my life? If it is, then you are being blessed. If it is, you're going to be, your soul is going to be fed. And you can praise God for that faithful preacher or Bible teacher uh, that you're learning from. With that, let's go ahead and thank God for His wonderful Word in our time together. Father, we do thank You for the truth of the Word of God that You have given to us to, to be food for us and to help us in this life and to show us how to think. 
and as a result to tell us how to live. And God, we need your spirit. I thank you for the spirit of God that lives in every believer who is the resident teacher of spiritual truth. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for applying truth we hear to our lives in a way that we can understand it. God, we give you all the glory for this. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.